We're officially beginning our series in First and Second Kings today. Although we had like a a little taste last week, we talked about uh, Naaman. Um, but one of the things that's striking about First and Second Kings and really the Old Testament in general is that it nails human beings and. What we see in the life of God's people in the Old Testament, we see again now here. And so what we're, what we're going to see is, is something that actually matters for us today as, as to how we're going to live and operate um, in the culture we live in. And so I'm not going to do the whole uh, text all at once. We're going to kind of break it up piece by piece because there's a lot there. But I will highlight things along the way. And I, I think, I hope um, we're going to see exactly uh, what kind of people we need to be in this moment. And so uh, let's uh, start with, uh, this is First Kings 18. Uh, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. What's going on? Uh, to catch you up, um, it's been two, now th- maybe three years of, of, of famine and drought that Elijah the prophet came to King Ahab, and he's like, you're a naughty king, you're a bad guy. And so we, and God is, has been watching, so look, good luck eating for the next uh, few years because the, the crops aren't going to be growing. Um, there's not going to be any rain. Well, that happens, and it is a desperate situation. And so, fi- but finally, God has decided to relent. Okay, God's gonna God's gonna give um, the people of Israel a chance, and especially Ahab the king. So Elijah, he's a prophet um, in Samaria. Ahab is the king. Ahab's kind of a he's. You don't like him, like he's not a good guy, but he's he's more weak and wishy-washy than anything else. Um, so I, you know, relate. Um, and he he's like he does kind of whatever his wife tells him. Uh, his wife is named Je- Je- Jezebel, and she really really hates uh, the people of God and, and Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so as a result, she's dragging her husband along to um, to to. Well, we'll see. Um, one of the, one of the hardest things that, you know, I've experienced in my married life, um, was when, uh, Aaron forced me to watch The Notebook. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this film, uh, but if you have, it's, it's burned into your memory. It's a searing pain that you recall every time it, it comes up. Uh, but, um, it's an interesting movie. It's, it's, it's got some very, very good looking people in it, which is awesome. I like that. Uh, so Ryan Gosling, he plays, um, the, one of the, 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 ram, the suitors of, of the girl. And then also, um, Marsden, James Marsden is another. So there's two guys, right? And there's two guys, there's one girl. And, and one of them's poor. That's Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's poor, but he has this amazing summer romance with Rachel McAdams and they fall desperately in love. And then he has to go off and fight World War II. While he's there, he sends a letter. I think it's like once a day or once a week. I don't know, every day. And he sends it home. But, uh, but Rachel McAdams' mom doesn't like him because he's poor and he's, and he's grungy. And so she keeps her daughter from receiving the letters. And so Rachel McAdams is like, oh, he doesn't love me. I'm going to have to move on with my life. Enter the equally handsome James Marsden. James Marsden comes in, Lon, I think his name is, and he's a decent guy. He's not a bad guy at all. I don't, I, if I, my memory is obviously bad of this film because I've been trying to suppress it all these years. Um, but I, I seem to recall him being a really decent guy. Um, 
And uh, at, the, the point, at one point, I think he even sends her to, once she finds out that Ryan Gosling made it through the war and is alive, he sends her to check out whether or not she still has feelings. And of course she does. But the, the whole time through the movie, we're, we're like, who's she going to pick? Right? How's this going to sort out? Who, who's going to end up with the girl? And that's actually pretty much the same thing that's going on in First and Second Kings, the entire two books. Is it, instead of the girl, it's Israel, right? And instead of, of Ryan Gosling and James Marsden, it's idolatrous kings and the God's agents. And, and there's a question, are the people of Israel going to end up following bad, naughty kings? Or are they going to end up falling in love with their first love, represented by the agents of God, the prophets of God? And so that's the first thing in your note sheets. Who will win the hand of Israel? Idolatrous kings or God's agents? Now this, uh, so there's kind of this, there's this war going on, right? There's this battle between um, a culture that, that is increasingly uh, resisting what God wants, right? There's a, the, the kings are taking Israel away from what God wants. And then so God sends these agents to, to go into this clash. And I, it's worth wondering, it's worth asking the question, um, is, is this actually analogous to something we're experiencing right now in the United States? Um, is there, is there a sense in which the United States, uh, has maybe some corrupt leaders, uh, who are pushing us, elites who are pushing us away from the way that God wants us to live? And is it becoming difficult, more difficult, for us to uh, practice Christian faith? I, I don't want to sound too many alarms, but I will tell you this. Um, in the first three months of this year, 70 churches were vandalized in the United States of America. Now, that's three times as many as last year. Now, that's not good. It's, it's bad. These are people trying to burn down churches, graffiti, like stop hate, because apparently church is where the hate is. Um, and... It's a little, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not too worried because, I mean, if the, if it keeps going at that rate for the entire year, there'd be what, 280 churches vandalized this year. And in a country of 320 million, that's not a lot. But it's more than it used to be. And as long as they've been keeping statistics, it's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and are we coming to a place? I, mean, I don't think we're there yet because I think, I mean, it's certainly not Soviet Russia, right? It's not like illegal for us to do what we do here. Um, but do you sometimes get the sense that it's becoming harder and harder to live out faithfully and, and to feel like everyone's okay with that? I remember being a kid, like no one cared if I was a Christian or not. Now I, I meet people and they're like, you're a pastor. Ooh, I don't like you. So I, I, I don't, we're not there yet, but it, if we are trending in that direction with our culture, if we are heading to a place where it is truly um, an anti-Christic culture, how do we respond? So the next question, how are Christians to respond? Well, the good news is this text gives us a roadmap. And so let's, let's, let's keep going through it together. Obadiah, he's the palace administrator. He's, he's a devout believer in Yahweh and Yahweh God. And while Jezebel, the king's wife, was killing prophets... 
uh, of the Lord, Obadiah had taken a hundred of them and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, supplied them with food and water. So he's, he's working for the king, but he doesn't like the king, and he certainly doesn't like his wife, and he definitely doesn't like what's going on. But he's still there. He's still working. He didn't quit. He didn't hang up his spurs. He, he's still there. Ahab then says to him, hey, let's go through the land to all the springs and valleys, because remember, we're in two, the third year of a drought here. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we won't have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were going to cover. Ahab goes one way. Obadiah goes another as Obadiah is walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognizes him, bows down to the ground, says, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Oh, yes, you're here. Finally, we've been waiting. Elijah's been hiding for a while. Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong? Obadiah cries out. That you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And wherever there's a nation or a kingdom that claims you weren't there, he's made them swear they could not find you. What's the problem here? Okay, now you can tell him he's here. That shouldn't be an issue. But now you tell me to go to my my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he's going to kill me. Obadiah, not, not the trusting sort. He's, uh, and then for good reason, right? He's in a situation where there's been a lot of bloodshed. And he's worried that as soon as he leaves, Elijah's going to take off and to, to foil Ahab, to make him angry again. He's going to die. Yet your servant, I have worshipped, Obadiah, I have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard that while, I, that while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord, I hid a hundred of them in two caves, 50 in each, and gave them food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He's going to kill me. I was, uh, I think I was 20 when the, um, when the planes hit the towers on September 11th. I was in school. It was a very, it was a very, um, marked memory um, of this kid named David running down the hall screaming, we're going to war, we're going to war. And by the time I woke up, I think the, the first had fallen and I watched the second fall on TV. Um, and at the time, we didn't really know, well, I didn't know, and I think a lot of us really didn't know a whole lot about Islam. Like, Islam it just wasn't, I didn't learn a lot about Islam. I didn't know much about Islam. And uh, I, I think that's probably the case for a lot of Americans. And as a result, when uh, we invaded Iraq, I think a lot of people were really surprised to find out that Islam is not this big block of beliefs. Like Islam is actually, it's, it's, there's lots of different types of Islam. And so when we invaded Iraq, we quickly found out that the Sunnis and the Shiites hate each other. I mean, you can show that picture of Saddam. Uh, so Saddam was, was an awful dude, like horrible man. Uh, but his violence was keeping the country stable. And once it was gone, like the people started going after each other. It was a very complicated situation. Well, there's not just Sunnis and Shiites. There's actually um, one of the one of the, the sects is is called um, the Ibadi or Ibadism, and uh, the Ibadi uh, they. They were horribly persecuted um, in the the seventh century A.D. Uh, by a, another caliphate, another another Islamic kingdom, and so they developed a strategy for how to deal with being like people coming and tr- trying to erase them and murder them. 
And that what they call it, they, they, uh, they call it Kitam or Katam, which is the Arabic for silence. And what that meant was these, um, these Ibadi Muslims would, would pretend on the outside to be just like everybody else, just like, you know, we're, well, yeah, they looked like they did the same things, they acted the same way, and yet, when they were in secret, when they were with their families only, their tight-knit community, they could admit to each other, oh no, we're actually, this is, we do it differently here. And so they, they lived two ways, they lived a double life. On the, and publicly, they were one thing, privately, they were something very, very different. Have you heard of um, Andre and Magda Trocme? Uh, there was a French couple, Marilyn, next slide picture of them. A French couple, he was a reformed pastor in France during World War II. When the Nazis invaded France, he and his wife, uh, they lived in a place called Le Chambon. It was, a, it was an area in France. They went privately and secretly to all the other reformed pastors in the area and the villages. And they made a plan, a plan of silence, of we're not going to say anything, but what we're going to do is we're going to find anybody who's Jewish and we're going to hide them. And so these entire communities, the entire uh, towns and villages, everyone, when the Nazis came, when they came through, everyone kept their mouth shut. Silence. But as soon as the Nazis were gone, life resumed, and they, the, over the course of the war, they saved 5,000 Jewish people. Um, Andre and, Mag, and Magda um, Trokme are, are they're considered like uh, the, one of the, right, the righteous of the nations by our Jewish friends, because what they did took incredible courage. It wasn't, it, they weren't cowards. They just knew what the cost was if they got caught. And it wasn't going to be just them that suffered. And so they had to live a double life. One way that we might respond to a culture that's increasingly hostile to faith, one way that we might do that is we might take the Obadiah route. We might take the Andre Trokme route. We might take the Katam route. The next thing you know, she's Obadiah's live a double life to keep faithfulness and the faithful alive in dangerous times. Well, are these times danger? I mean, I, I don't see any Christians being killed at all. But let me ask you a question. Maybe, maybe there's maybe there's some people who need to be Obadiah's here. Here's a question: um, Do you feel free? To be open about, go ahead, Marilyn, next slide. Do you feel free to be open about your faith at work or in the world? Do you? Just imagine you're going to work, right? And you're like, I'm going to tell all of my coworkers about all the things that I believe. Do you think that they would be cool with that? I have a friend. He's a, <laughs> he works for a pretty major corporation. And uh, he's also a, um, a very conservative um, Catholic Christian. And we were talking about a year ago, and he was telling me that um, if anyone in his company knew what he believed about things like abortion, um, LGBTQIA plus issues, that he'd be fired immediately. So he told me. I don't know if that's true. Maybe, maybe he was being paranoid. I don't know. But, but that's what he told me. And so if you go to his Facebook page, you will see nothing about what he believes. You'll see a whole lot of stuff about grunge rock from the 90s. 
You'll see a whole bunch of stuff about his kids playing soccer. But you will not see anything about his faith. That's the next question. If, if, you are, if, we're, if we move to this place where we have to, where it's, it's dangerous and there's a hostile environment, um, what, what, what are some strategies that being an Obadiah can, can use? Like how, how can we, what can we do to mitigate that factor? How can we pull it off? Well, I think my friend's a pretty good example. Um, he, he lives that double life, but he has, like his, he has a very tight community of people who know the truth. And they protect each other. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> he's like, he's in the closet about his faith. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is that if, if he comes out of the closet, he's, he thinks, he believes, he's going to be fired. His family is going to be destitute. He's no longer going to be able to support his church. And so he's very careful to be silent. And so some of us, I think, I really believe if, if the culture continues to become hostile to, to faith, I think there are going to be some of us who have to live a double life. That's not ideal. It's not what you, we super want. So God, God, so one strategy that, that I think the Bible endorses is the Bible doesn't seem to think Obadiah is a bad guy. We recognize he's scared and for good reason. If he gets, if he gets caught, what happens to all those prophets? They're done. But is there another role? Is there another way to respond as agents of resistance in a hostile culture? Well, let's look at the rest of the story. This is awesome. Elijah said, he's telling Obadiah, I'm not going to rat you out, okay? As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw him, he said to you, is that you, troubler of Israel? I didn't make trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals, the Baals. Uh, Baal or Baal is the, the Semitic word for Lord, for master, owner. Um, Adonai is the word that people, that the Jewish people use to refer to God as Lord or master or owner. And so this, there's this epic clash. Who are, who's the real Lord of Israel? Who's the real master? Elijah says, I'll tell you the truth. It's Yahweh God. And I am not afraid to say it. You remember, uh, it's been with the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's uh, hammering the 95 theses. To the, the, that was just a couple years ago. 500 years since the beginning of the, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, when that happened, he, he, he nails the 95 theses to the to the, the door of the church, which is, which is actually common. This is how like the professors would start arguments back in the day. This one started more than an argument. It started a, a, a massive manhunt uh, because Martin Luther was being called out for heresy, and he kept responding. He kept being like, no, I'm not a heretic. No, I'm not. Finally, he goes to the, uh, a, a big conference called the Diet of Worms, and he's there, and he, he knows that if he doesn't recant, he's going to be executed. They're going to kill him. And that his famous words, he's, he's, he sat there and he's given this passionate defense of why he believes that, that 
that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone. He gives this passionate defense, and he can see the hatred of the people that are that are there looking at him. And and finally, he he just says, he says, I I I can do no other. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. That night he was absconded. He was stolen out of the city by a friendly, uh, a friendly ruler. He was hidden in a castle for a year while his, while forces could be gathered to protect him. But in that moment when he said that, here I stand, I can do no other, what he expected was to die. Maybe Elijah did too. So those those who 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 live the double life they're they're undercover they're they're secret agents but then there's also those who are out front with faith. They're Martin Luthers, they're Elijahs. Last thing in your note sheet, Elijahs they they risk being ostracized, they risk being hated, they risk martyrdom, but they publicly stand for the truth. They don't give it up. Some people are called to the Obadiah way of life, and I think the majority probably are, but there's a, a select few who are willing and able to stand up and say, I don't care what you do to me. It's interesting. I mean, Elijah doesn't have a family, right? If he gets killed, he doesn't have dependents that are going to be sad. Elijah's only job is telling the word of the Lord. He doesn't have the responsibilities that most of us here have. And that frees him up. Like Martin Luther, Elijah's not going to get martyred. Ahab's not going not to kill him. He's going to keep going because the Lord's going to preserve him. But as we move, I hope, I hope not, but as we continue to move into a, a, a type of culture that becomes openly hostile to people of faith, there needs to be some of us who are willing to take a stand and suffer the consequences. My commitment to you is that come what may I promise, I will be one of them. So questions, I mean, um, are you, what, what types of people can be Elijah's? You know, interestingly, uh, especially if the culture doesn't ever become overtly violent towards Christians, but just suppresses Christians, one of the best ways to be able to be an Elijah is to own your own business. It's a true fact. Um, I know we have some, some business owners here, and you are free in a way that a lot of us aren't. A lot of us, like my friend who works for that corporation, we're in a situation where we say the wrong thing, we're cut. And our livelihoods are gone. You're not in that situation. And you might be a person who's thinking about you know, what you're going to do in the future, how you're, you're going to live. I would definitely consider a life that's set up so that you're not dependent on whoever and their opinions of you. If you can do it, not all of us can. Um, it's just the way that life is. But if you are thinking in the future, especially some of you youngsters, as you're uh, deciding what career paths to take, think about what it would look like to be be truly free. And uh, the last thing, strategies. 
you know that I am a, uh, a hater of all things social media. I don't like it. And I do think that one of the, the, the biggest challenges that's going forward is how can we make public stands in a way that um, is charitable and Christian and uh, loving um, and tolerance <laughs> and all those things. How can we do that in, in, in an age of massive polarization? And I'm not talking about left and right, by the way. It's, that's not... Uh, that's not the way that the polarization is working. It's, it's going to be, or starting to be a polarization between secularism and faith. And as, and as that's happening, right, as that's what we're going through, how can we have a faithful witness that is compelling and strong, but also not like, you know, stamping on people's faces and kicking them with the truth? I think um, that Elijah's in our culture are going to have to be of the Martin Luther quality. Here I stand, I can do no other. And I'm not going to rub your face in it. I'm not going to demand anything for you. I am just going to say, this is what's true. And I'm not going to quit on that. And for Obadiahs in this culture, it's incumbent on you to protect and defend and provide for the people like Elijah. Remember what Obadiah did? Who did he save? A hundred prophets, right? A hundred prophets like Elijah. These people who have the opportunity, who are willing to take the, the risk. It's, it's the rest of us. It's our job to, to make sure they're safe, as safe as we can. My hope um, is that the United States of America is not going to go the way of Israel. That's my hope. I hope that, um, that the people of this country who have differing views about faith and life uh, we'll be able to, you know, go back to the old way of things where we loved each other anyway. I remember years ago when it was really easy to have friends um, who were on a different side of a political aisle or a different side of, of, of faith and belief. And it strikes me that it's becoming harder and harder and harder. And so in the meantime, because, it, 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 you know, it's, it's not a done deal. For now, let us be praying for peace in this, in this culture. Let us be praying for mercy and a willingness to see the other side. Let us be praying for that. Because, man, that would be so much better than having to hide prophets in caves so they don't get killed. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we um, we come to you in some places worried about the future of this culture, the future of this nation. God, I pray um, that you would just create peace, that you would um, give the people of this culture a, a willingness to love um, and care for each other even when we're really different. But God, if it comes to it if, it, if it turns out that that's not the future here, I pray that we'll be ready to be Obadiahs and Elijahs. That those of us who, who have to can successfully live that double life and at the same time use the resources to, to help and protect those who can't. And God, I pray that um, if it comes to it, that you will raise up some bold uncompromising Elijahs in this congregation people who will stand for the truth come what may who will willingly bear the, co- the cost 
May they encourage us. May we be strengthened by the ones who stand out and stand up. Lord Jesus, we know that um, there are fates worse than, worse than death because we can look forward to the resurrection that you've pioneered. Give us strength and power to go forward, living faithfully in your name.